welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we're going to speak to Richie Ellison, who is the founder and director of TKO, Training, Knowledge and Opportunities. Um, and Richie's going to talk to us about inclusion and some of the methods that they use at TKO to make sure that they get the great results that they do. I'm Dawn Mulvaney, and I'm the editor of Cash Alumni, the professional membership network for anyone working in care, childcare, or early years education. You can join us for more updates, articles, and resources at www.cashalumni.org.uk. But until then, Richie, can you tell us a little bit more about TKO? Yeah, so TKO, um, Training, Knowledge and Opportunities. So when I was working in, in Welfare to Work... Welfare to Work, what's that for anyone who doesn't know? Whatever benefit it might be, which is keeping you out of work, there's additional support to actually help you into work. And that might be through a, a, a traditional personal advisor. It might be through a team who, who actually go out and engage with businesses to actually help you find jobs. Um, it might be additional health support through physios or, you know, um, a whole range of support. So support to help people who are on benefits at the moment to get and stay in jobs. Um, that's great don't really understand how that got you into a box engine. I've worked in, in the welfare to work sector for a good number of years now, over 10 years. Um, my background uh, growing up was sport. Um, my dad was a professional footballer and my mum uh, still to this day is uh, 65 years old, fitness instructor and still takes fitness classes in uh, our boxing gym which I'll talk a little bit more about in a second. Back then and still to this day, businesses often had a stereotypical attitude to somebody who was claiming benefits. And I think, even like I say to this day, sometimes the media dictates what interpretation somebody has of somebody who's on benefit. For example, there'll be a particular TV station, for example, which I won't name, where every night or every other night there'll be there seems to be a documentary about such and such on benefits. So it could yeah. be my big fat benefits wedding. Yeah. It could be I even got to a stage where I saw um, a program advertised, and I must admit I did watch a little bit of it before switching it off. My dog on the door. You know what wow. I mean? It was just like how how far do you want to go? Yeah. Um. And, but that was portraying everybody in that same light. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a demonisation there, isn't there? I think so. But my uh, everything I do, I try and put a po- I try and t- change a negative into a positive. So when I was working with the long-term unemployed, I would say, this is how you're being portrayed. You've got to overcome that. You've got to make sure that people don't see it as my dog on the door TV programme or, um, you know, um, life on benefits types and all. So... Anyway, going back to, to, to my to my role then, and, and things weren't really working well, potentially because of the situations we just spoke about. Um, or you did have um, a lot of individuals who were victims of circumstances, and we'll probably talk a bit about victims of circumstances, circumstances a little bit more as we go along. So as well as the businesses needing to understand a little bit more about the real life of people who might be long-term unemployed rather than what they've seen on the telly. D- does that mean that there was some mind-changing to do on the other side maybe as well? So they might have been third, fourth generation unemployed and it's all they've known, you know. 
so it's come right from the top if you like that that's the norm to be out of work it can be quite daunting for say a family of a single mother where she's got three kids how am i actually physically going to be better off going to and work and i think that we could get quite deeply into that if we wanted to i mean and you've also got the whole thing around homelessness and people living in supported accommodation where the cost of rent's higher than the cost of private accommodation so once somebody goes into work and their housing benefit won't cover that anymore and that they're stuck that that might result in them actually going back on the streets and a lot of people don't see that so they'll see somebody who's living in a bed sit for example and they shout get a job not understanding what that actually means it's costing 250 300 pound a week for the ha no it can't it can't be 300 300 pound a week well actually there's a whole support system which goes behind that hospital which may, which obviously tops up the cost but as i mentioned growing up i was brought up in a, in a sporting background so um my dad in the late 60s early 70s um was a professional footballer certainly nowhere near to the level of earnings that they earn in this day in age um, and, and my mum a fitness instructor so I, I casted my mind back to think right well when I was growing up and even when my dad stopped playing professional football um, and when I was I was a, a little and, uh, he, and he was playing for his local pub teams or whatever we always had a massive social circle of friends um, and there was always something going on whether that be a barbecue or a wedding day or a birthday or just a gathering of some sort and there was nobody out of work or if there was somebody out of work there was always somebody there to so offer. that community was really important it was a social circle or my mum's gym friends or, or whatever and even when my mum and dad split up we still had those social circles going on and there was always somebody there to look out for somebody so i thought well the social circles which a long-term unemployed person might be dealing with, they might not have a social circle. Their social circle might be exist of somebody on the other end of the Xbox, you know, somebody on the other end of the, a, a, a completely different country. So, in the classroom environment, learning environment, typical classroom learning environment, and from that, when we're talking about people with long-term unemployed issues, that might be being put in a classroom and getting taught how to write a CV, for example. Now, for somebody who's been out of work for four or five years, they might have been in the classroom getting taught how to write CV or prepare themselves for an interview 10, 15, 20 times, and it hasn't worked from them for them. A classroom hasn't motivated them in the first place, hence they've maybe not done very well academically. School hasn't turned them on, college and university hasn't turned them on, but then we're putting them back in a classroom as an adult and telling them, this is how you and they just don't want to be there and you can see that straight away when you put a group of people who don't want to be in a classroom in a classroom together you, you can tell immediately that Exa they don't exactly. want to be there so uh, it was up in north shields at, at the time which for those outside of the area is a, is a old shipping sort of docking area old shipbuilding area of uh, of north tyneside um and the ship shipbuilding sort of went by Went, went by the wayside and, and people fell on tough times and the organisation I was working for at the time these classroom environments weren't working for them and we had incidents where there was guys literally throwing chairs across the room at tutors and all the rest of it so I got asked to sit I got sort of asked to step in and say Richie what can we do here so I said okay then um, 
So I took a group of guys, it was about 15, 16 fellas. I say guys, they were 18, and they were all men, this particular group, it's 18 plus. From 18 up to, I think the oldest was early 50s. And all I said was, right, okay then, I'm gonna book the local five-a-side football centre. We're gonna go there twice a week. We'll have a game of five-a-side, but on the basis that, on the five-a-side, after the five-a-side, we'll sit down at the football centre and do some stuff around actually really what's going to help you find work. So maybe it's not around your CV, it's actually what you're actually doing yourself and being proactive and trying to get out there and find work and doing some life mapping and, you know, what's your life going to look like if you carry on the way you're going or what can the bright future hold for you if you actually sort of take the ball by its horns. Which has to provide more value than sitting in a classroom going over how to write a CV for the 11th time. Exactly, exactly. Um, so it sort of it sort of spiralled from there. I think the light bulb moment from me from that one particular group of guys that I was working with at the time. There was one guy, I'll not 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 name his name, but he was mid forties, and all he wanted to do was actually be a football coach. Um, but he had his barrier to employment was he had a bit of a bad breakup with his his partner at the time. They'd had a child. Uh, they'd bro- they'd split up pretty much just weeks into after the birth of the child and uh, she'd stopped him from seeing his son. Um, and he went off the rails a little bit um, and uh, she'd sort of got an injunction put against him to stop him from seeing his children, seeing the child. He was putting letters through the letterbox and, you know, I want to see my son. But having a young son myself, I, and now I could, I, I, I could sort of understand his frustrations yeah. rather than actually just automatically telling them he'd done the wrong thing. Yeah, and, and no one's the villain in their own fairy tale. Everyone does things intending to do the right thing for them and theirs. And, and to be f- and exactly, and to be fair to this guy, he wasn't running away from being a father. He was actually trying to fight for being a father. Yeah. Maybe he's just done it in the wrong way. But that led to him actually having something on his record which prevented him from working with children. He hadn't touched a child, he hadn't abused a child, he hadn't hit anybody. Um, but he had a story. But he had a story behind him. So anyway, as a reward for us work, working with this group of lads, I'd put a game on at uh, St James's Park um, against a number of employers. So we invited, a, um, sorry, we identified a number of employers from different business sectors that these guys wanted to work with. Uh, and we said to these employers, we want you to come play on St James's Park. Um, and we want to play against a group of long-term unemployed people. Of course, the employers loved that. They wanted to play on St James's Park. Of course, the unemployed people, you know, a lot of them couldn't afford to go and watch Newcastle United. Not like you'd want to go and watch Newcastle. They were not terrible at the minute. <laughs> but, you know, they couldn't afford to go and watch a game, let alone play on the pitch. This was like an amazing incentive for them. Yeah, and for me, just to pick up on something that you said there, sorry, Richie, that... The, the thing about what you just said is that you invited employers that that group of blokes wanted to work for, not just employers that were easy to engage. Yeah. Or employers who wanted to be involved the other way around. Exactly. So what we would what the way the way I pitched it for the for the guys who I was supporting was this is almost like an interview process for you. So say we we had some lads who just wanted to work in construction. We'll get the construction company into play on that day, and your attitude and behaviour, don't go kicking them up a height, don't go swearing, you know, don't be professional on the pitch, 
shake his hand afterwards and start building that start relationship. building that relationship through a game of football that's your foot in the door that's your introduction and that's your way of selling yourself as an individual the companies knew what we were there for in the first place but it was allowing to open doors where historically they might have been shoved by a blank CV or with one which had even just got thrown in the bin. So this one guy we were talking about, he played on that day and um, he got man of the match, which was great. Um, at the end of the game, we were having a bite to eat and a drink at, at the football ground and he had an elder, his elderly mother who was in her 70s, 80s at the time. And uh, he said, Richie, he says, I want to introduce you to me, to me, ma'am. And she was like, oh, I can't believe what you've done. You know, this isn't me who's done it. He's got yourself motivated. We've just t- challenged challenge things in the right way for him, you know, and, and tackled it in the way he wanted to be listened to and what was going to motivate him. And that just happened. That football was the mechanism to do that. So we had a good chat with his mum and, and he was with his brother-in-law as well. And he went, Richie, he says, I want you to introduce to somebody else. So along came this little lad hugging on to this fella I've been supporting and he went this is my son and he was five years old and he went this is the first time I've ever seen him since he was five weeks old and I knew all the background behind it and he went had it not been for this game of football a day at St James's Park he went I don't know whether I would have access to him so one between me trying to hold back my tears I was extru- it, it was like a light bulb moment I was like this works this works this hasn't just helped somebody be motivated to find a job it's actually brought him back to his son which was his barrier in the first place and probably his motivation for looking for work I mean and it still is and that was over 10 years ago now and from what I understand he's he's going on to great things and that that was so that was the light bulb moment you know Um, so from then on um, we started I started developing um, programs with the Premier League and the Premier Premier League football clubs, um, working with them in their communities and um, uh, partnering different ideas they had on around social inclusion programs. Um, more focusing around working with adults because what I what I quickly found was that football clubs would focus heavily on socially excluded kids, which is absolutely great and doing some fantastic work, but they were forgetting that socially excluded kids were typically coming from socially excluded mums and dads or parents or guardians but there was little being done with them so uh, so I started developing that started um, developing other moved on into into new other contract and de- developed um, a network of key individuals who were part of the TKO team um, likes of Olivia Bernard ex Newcastle United footballer Natasha Jonas GB Olympic boxer um, Samantha Quinn, who's our who runs our fashion program, whereas we use different topics, but having key individuals who had a true story behind them. So, for example, Olivia, me, and Ollie are very close. We've worked together for around about eight or nine years now, and Ollie's background is priceless because people from the outside in see him and think of him being this superstar millionaire footballer in a big mansion. And I think that was the draw when. We used to work together for people that you were working with. Was that they saw this personality and, and this person that they recognised in it, and it made them want to get involved with the stuff that you were doing. That and but they didn't know his background. So Ollie's background was, but his parents are from Guadeloupe, born and raised in Paris. Could have his career could have gone a completely different direction, in terms of him with the wrong crowd friends going to prison etc etc 
was exceptional at football, found his way to Newcastle, didn't speak the language, took himself to university, learned English, got sent out on loan to Darlington in the lower league, so learned his apprenticeship, if you like, and then Bobby Robson saw all the potential in him, played football in Champions League, had everything, so he'd gone from almost having nothing to having everything, got injured at 27 and had to retire at 27. So he's gone from having everything to then all of a sudden that's gone and taken away. By all his own all admission, he'd done the partying afterwards and all the rest of it, but then thought, actually, I'm not a footballer anymore. I've had to retire from the game. What do I do with my life now? So, and then rebuild and done some great things in the community and working with organisations like Show Races and the Red Card, going into schools, teaching them about equality and diversity, etc. So TKO was sort of formed out of those ideas and um, so we've been up and running as, a, as we're in our own right now for just over, uh, we're coming up to three years now, um, which is great. Um, it's allowed us to expand our portfolio in areas which I was really passionate about. So for example, one of the biggest passions I had was working in prisons and, and how we can actually make a positive Yeah, and that, that's something prisons. that I'm quite passionate about as well um, in terms of, in a previous role I worked with people who had recently been released from prison um, and who had signed on to look for work and the crossover between those people and the people accessing homelessness support are, are massive. Um, when people get released from prison I think the general population thinks that that's it, that they're done that's the end of their sentence but it's not, there's a there's a huge role and stigma that comes with that and, and a lot of um, people who go on to re-offend do so because actually life outside of prison's quite quite tough um, after you've got that conviction What is it that TKO do differently to, to some of those other services that are out there or that existed before TKO came along? So we've, we've worked in the prisons now for probably around about 18 months uh, and ran about 18 programmes in that time uh, for six prisons now. Most recently, um, Birmingham Prison, we were in two, three weeks ago now. And obviously that's massively in the spotlight at the moment. It's got the worst inspection um, in the country. Um, the government are taking it off private hands. Um, and that was predominantly because of a number of issues. Violence is very, very high in there, as in there's a, you know, a majority of the prisons we work in. Um, substance misuse, particularly around synthetic cannabinoids, or what people are probably hear in the newspapers or in the media is the spice um, issue they have in the prisons. Uh, illegal phones, bullying, debt. So. From the outside in, if we talk about debt, for example, in prisons, people who don't have a knowledge of prisons might think, how is there any debt in prisons? Well, they've got no bills to pay, so how on earth can they have debt? Well, actually, there's a hell of a lot of debt in there because there's a hell of a lot of drug dealing in prisons and one thing leads to another. People are vulnerable, very vulnerable in prisons and can be easily led into things that the particularly don't want to be involved in. So we've been asked to tackle those issues within the jails. Um, we've been doing very, very well within those, within, those, within those establishments, not just here in the northeast, 
or in, in the Midlands and Birmingham as I mentioned but also up in Scotland as well where prisons are constantly getting us back in which shows that we're doing the right thing um, my opinion on, on working within the prisons is and one of the reasons why I did I've got a lot of friends who've gone to prison um, whether that be in prison now or have spent time in prison um, so from under, understanding what their frustrations were in prison it allowed me to actually come up with a solution um, a lot of it's to do with boredom and a lot of it's how you actually speak to the prisoner as well a, a lot of prisoners they understand that they're there to be punished but my personal opinion on a prison is that if they weren't there to be rehabilitated then why have a prison in the first place you've got to give somebody the opportunity to be rehabilitated not everybody wants to be rehabilitated you know let's not let, let's not um, beat about the bush here people will see prison as a stopgap to, to return to crime for us it's an it, we've got to educate them as that you can't live your life, life like that but if you're not going to try and rehabilitate somebody then what's the point in the process you might as well just stick them in a building lock or throw away the key and just not give them any support um, so again we'll use different methods in terms of how we engage them but it might be for example myself and Olivier will run our football program but it's not just going in there and playing football with them um, will it be an incentivization program so good behavior will be rewarded with football for example and it's where you've got a system where it's not a typical game of football we've got a reward and recognition um, tool behind and when that when you talk about good behavior do yeah. you see good behavior maybe differently to what the prison might say is good behavior good in behavior. terms of compliance yeah or? good behavior in a prison might be turning up for education for example good behavior might be going to work and by going to work if it's a closed prison um it might be that the the majority of prisons now are what we call working prisons. So they might be working in a kitchen, they might be working on maintenance, they might be working on reception, so as new prisoners are coming through the door. Um, there's lots of different roles, but they've still got to turn up for that. And if they don't turn up for that, then rewards and privileges may be taken away um, from the actual inmate themselves, or residents as some prisons call them now. Um, but we'll tackle a hell of a lot of things. So probably out of a five-day program, we'd be in there, and maybe for a day, out of an hour out of that day might be the football element, and then we'd be in the classroom tackling things like equality and diversity. Now, an equality and diversity session, if you had pinned that up on the wall in a prison, to say, and through traditional methods, we have an equality and diversity session. Um, which is going to be for an hour and a half. Who's interested? Who's interested? Nobody would turn up, let's be real. Whereas we're getting them sitting, discussing equality and diversity for an hour and a half. In quite what could be quite a volatile situation where we're, talking, we're tackling around Islamophobia, homophobia, equal rights. So you're talking about things that are quite ingrained within prisons where you have actually yeah. got separate communities I'd, for I'd, separate I'd, I'd give you an example. We were we were running a programme in Home House Prison in Stockton not so long ago, two or three months ago. And we were running this um, session for, there was 22 guys on this course. And uh, we give them a, a particular scenario which opens up discussions about um, a number of different topics um, around equality and diversity and we were talking about um, 
homophobia, but we're talking about um, sexualities. And there was a huge wall put up around homophobia amongst the prisoners. The guys, I would say 75% of them were, don't want to have anything to do with gay guys. Quite happy to have something to do with a gay woman, but not a gay guy. I knew that was bravado, but in that situation, it's almost like who's the alpha male? Because I don't want to be, if he's sitting next to us saying that he doesn't like gay guys, I'm going to follow his suit, so it was like black sheep type thing. And this went on for about 10 minutes, me and Ollie just sort of sat back and soaked it all in and listened until there was one guy in that room who was the big guy of the of the group, if you like, you know? Big, strapping, six foot five guy. Sort of went to look at it, you wouldn't want to mess with this fella. Everyone's going to agree with this guy. He didn't say anything, and then he just chipped up. He went, lads, my son's gay. And the whole place went silent. And they looked at him, and he went, my son's gay, he's 15. He says, I've got other kids as well. He says, but my son's gay, and I don't have a problem with it. And he went, have you any of you have got sons, what would you do if we was gay? And the, all of that attitude's changed. And he hadn't told, and he'd been in the prison for a few years, and he hadn't told anybody in the prison. But for him to actually sit up in front of everybody in this discussion, and to actually open up and say my son's gay, was quite a sort of like an inspiring moment. Um, we're enabled to tackle those types of topics where historically that would have never been possible. We um, and that was we had 22 fellas on that course, and it was the first time in Home House's history that they'd ever had a 100% success rate where somebody they had a group start a program and finish a program. But that's not just the football. So you no, were saying we that had lads who didn't play football as an incentive. Mm-hmm. But what is it that you're doing differently in the way that you're engaging? I don't don't prejudge. I don't prejudge the individual. I think the easiest thing for me to do would be to see who I'm working with and Google them. And 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 I have and I'll be open and honest with you. And that I have done that in the past when we first started running the programs. And I wish I hadn't done. Um, because you get to find out some of the actual offences that they've actually caused. And I'm not talking like massively serious offences, but because I have worked with individuals where they were so, so polite, very, very accommodating and couldn't do enough for us, role model people to have on the course, and then I've looked at their history and I thought, oh, I wish I hadn't read that, because I, didn't, I haven't prejudged them and I don't want to prejudge them moving forward. So that's something I quickly learned not to do. Um, so I think that's really important is that we We'll talk to them on a way that they want to be spoken to. We're not going to patronise them in any way. We'll challenge them and we'll not be frightened to challenge them. So um, for you going into a prison and working with a group of blokes in prison is just the same as if you came into totally. our offices today and worked with a group of my colleagues totally. around the same sort of Totally. Issues. And this is this is the thing, I, uh, the message I keep on. No matter what group I'll say to, and uh, what group I'm working with, whether that be a group of twelve-year-olds, whether it be a group um, who who just needs some additional support, whether it be a group somebody who's a life-term sentence in a prison, I'm no better than that individual, and then that individual is no better than the next person. Everybody has got the ability within them to actually achieve great things. Yes, they might have done bad things in the past, but don't let the past dictate your future. And I think you've got to have that mutual respect and being able to build that rapport where they actually go, actually, I've got trust in Richie. 
and I'll put my faith in Richie. Um, and being able to follow through with your promises is the other thing. So if I say that I'm going to do something for somebody, I'll do it. If I, if I don't think I can do it, I'll not make a promise to think, oh, I'll do that for you. But knowing that, fine, well, I'll not be able to do it. And so many times, for example, just yesterday, I got an a email from a lad who's just been released from Birmingham prison, thanking us, of, you know, um, saying, I'm back, I'm settled back into my family life now. I really enjoyed the course. It shed, a new, uh, shed, a, shed, shed some new light on how I want to progress my career. Because he had just written himself off because he thought that he was a prisoner and nobody Do was going to look at that a lot, that the people that you engage with, whether it's prisoners, whether it's young people, whether it's people with disabilities or barriers, do you find a lot that they've written themselves off? Mm-hmm. That it's them that, yeah. that has decided to come? I think so. I think um, a lot of the times is, is victims of circumstances. Potentially they've had no role model in their life um, or, or, or little uh, encouragement for themselves in the first place, which has led to them to believe themselves that they're not going to be of any, any, any use to anybody. Um, and I think as well they almost they judge themselves but think other people are going to be judging them um, so for us it's about being able to extract all of them great things that they've got with them and one of the ethos with, with TTO is that you don't have to be great with a pen and paper to achieve great things in your life and how many jobs is there now where you necessarily don't need to be great at English and maths? For me, it's more about personality and attitudes. Now, if I can sell somebody's personality and attitude, or somebody came to me with a great attitude and wanted to work for me, I would take that nine times out of ten over somebody who didn't have any personality but had ten years' worth of experience. We obviously work with a good number of employers, and we've got some fantastic employer relationships, um, which we've built over the years. And time and time again, employer will say to me, Richie, I'm not bothered about the experience. All I'm bothered about is attitudes. If you know, if, if you can send me somebody who's going to turn up at nine o'clock in the morning and put the graft in till five o'clock and be there the next day, and, and, and that's all, I'm, all I want. And then once they're in there and showing that attitude, I can build them up. If that's what they want to do and progress their career, I can do that. We, we've got a fantastic relationship with it company in Newcastle called Inspired Outsourcing which are a contact centre in Newcastle so they've got some big contracts for the likes of big energy suppliers and mobile phone companies in this contact centre and myself and Olivier um, this was probably going back eight years ago now we were running a, one of our football programmes we had a, we had, um, we had a guy there um, who's at the time would have been early 40s, mid 40s uh, never worked in I think it was 12 or 13 years completely written himself off um, and he, ke- he came to us he was a massive Liverpool fan um, I remember that because he used to come every day in his Liverpool tracksuit even though he was a Cockney and uh, the light bulb moment for him was he had two young boys and they were sort of getting picked on a little bit at school because they didn't have the nice trainers, they didn't have the Xboxes. Um, their dad was picking them up from school. That was another thing. So if dad can pick us up from school, how when all the other dads are working? 
So anyway, at the end of our week, we took them into Inspired Outsourcing in Newcastle and had that relationship with them in the, that we didn't have to go suited and booted. We'd left from the football training field, if you like, into their office in the tracksuits and, and what have you. The company Inspired were totally cool about that. That we had the good relationship, they loved the fact that Olivier was going to come in and have photographs and chat with the staff and all the rest of it, but really bought into the values of what it is we were trying to achieve. So anyway, we were in there on the Friday afternoon, they learned about the company, they'd listened into some calls, etc. And Tracy, the manager, uh, the HR manager, said, Richie, who's that there? Who's that big fella there? He seems really bubbly and all that. And bear in mind, that the, this was very much like a quite a youthful, jovial sort of environment, you know. Average age is probably about 21, so 22. Like ah, yeah, yeah. They've all got their designer gear on and all the rest of it. The lads have got their sleeve. In fact, the lasses have got sleeve tattoos and, you know, it's all quite a hip, cool type place. So this guy probably wasn't your typical guy who you would picture working there. He sort of stood out a little bit from the norm. But anyway, Tracy seen something in him and he was just walking about, but he showed a really good attitude. He was asking lots of questions, he was engaging with the staff. And she said, who's that there? So I told him, told him, uh, didn't go into the full detail, just, this, that's it, this is who he was. This is how long he's been out of work for. She says, um, do you think you'd like to have an interview here? I says, I don't know, I'll go and ask him. So I says, do you want to interview you? He went, oh, when? Like next week or something? I went, no, she wants an interview in 45 minutes time. Shut up, man, he said. I says, yeah. I says, just go for it. Just be yourself. Just seeing something in you. In you. Just, just, you know, she's not going to throw loads of pressure on you. She just, she's obviously wants to chat to you and see, tell you and, and interview you for the job. Aye, okay, I'm going to go for it. So, in he went. Got the job offer after that, after that interview. That was on the Friday. He started on the Monday. She rang us on, Tracy rang us on the Friday. And she went, Richie, I need to speak to you about this guy. And I thought, oh no, what, what's happened? She went, he's absolutely amazing, this fella. I went, right, okay, that's great. What what's happened? She says, oh well, he's been in, he's 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 the time he's been here in Grad Bay or whatever they'd call it, which was like an induction process. He smashed these targets. Everybody loves him. Blah 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 blah. He's now there as a manager of that same company doing the recruitment for new staff, running sales teams, and still keeps them at Christmas. How's you and Ollie? Can we meet up? Blah, blah, blah. Can't thank you for enough. I remember that first Christmas after, the first Christmas after he'd got the job, texted, he went, Richie, he went, thank you to you and Ollie. I can buy my son that Xbox this Christmas. You know, and that meant the world to me. And he's still there now, still for the same company, you know, winning awards for them. He's done loads of PR and press stuff for us. In terms of getting, he does some of the recruitment for him to understand totally, the journey of totally, the totally. So I was um, this guy who I mentioned uh, emailed me yesterday from Birmingham Prison saying that he's been released and what have you. I had conversations with this guy because um, he was saying I don't know where I'm going to go because of my criminal background, and this guy was in jail for non-payment of fines, by the way. Okay, but he'd been in jail. Okay, so an employer's not going to look that he's it's, been in, for non-payment of fines. I don't want to think that a lot of people listening to this will know that that's still a thing. Yeah. That people still go to prison for not being able to pay their debts. Yeah, okay. So this guy was in prison for not paying his debts, okay? And um, so I, 
he was really articulate. He w- we were in there for the week and he was being released on that Tuesday. So he could have thought, well, I'm getting out next Tuesday. I'm not bothered about doing all this equality and diversity, enterprise, self-employment, you know, drug and alcohol awareness, I can see all the that. Finish line. Yeah, but he didn't. He totally engaged in the whole week. And I said, to, I said, you know what, you would be great at, mate. I went, you would be great as an advisor dealing with ex-offenders, helping them into work. You know, what, why would I be good at? I went because you can associate and you understand the barriers, you understand the challenges, you know what it's like to have been in prison and the problems that it's occurred for you and your family. I went, you would be perfect at that. And some so, of the best guys to work with in youth homelessness were advisors who had been homeless in the past. Experience breeds knowledge doesn't it at the end of the day and you've got to be able to associate with the person you're supporting um, uh, hence I think we're, we're, which is why we, we do such a such a great job it goes it goes down to treating everybody the same being able to be flexible from one person to the next one person's demands and what makes one person tick might be completely different to the next but your approach has got to be tailored to that individual um, or bringing the, being able to bring out the best and identifying what what don't f- I, I, I don't I don't ever try and focus on somebody's weaknesses and developing a weakness let's look at your strengths first and build on them our boxing gym is a great example of the variation which we actually deal with in there so back, boxing's been a passion of mine for a, a long long time and we've got a fantastic mentor for TKO outside of our gym where we run our boxing intervention programs in Natasha Jonas. So Tash was the first female to represent GB in the London 2012 Olympics as a boxer. Um, great role model, typical scouser, you know, very bubbly, very chatty, very charismatic. Um, so she really lives up to that stereotype. Yeah, she's class. She's, 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 she's absolutely brilliant as Tash. Um, but inside of our boxing gym, I think from people without the knowledge of boxing, they might have an idea of what a boxing gym actually looks like. So yeah, I've never been in a boxing gym. So what's yours? Of a boxing gym what's yours? Is, is what would it be? Grubby room yeah. full of sweaty blokes yeah. all wanting to beat each other up. Yeah. That's Okay, I can, under- a bit of I can, underst- yeah, I can understand yeah. that, and I've been in a few of those around the country um, myself, so that does go on. Um, but I think from actually, but when you're actually involved in a boxing gym, it's very much a family unit. We've got on our on our wall, and we actually call our bo- boxing gym it's TKO Boxing and Learning Centre, because um, we've got a classroom in there. We've got like a sixteen seater classroom in there. Um, which overlooks the boxing ring. Um, so it's not take your boxing gym, it's take your boxing and learning centre. So that sort of sets us out straight away. People can identify exactly what we actually are there. Um, on the wall, we've got a huge hashtag take your family thing on the wall. Um, you know, so it is everybody who comes in there, regarding of their race, religion, sexuality, background. Um, income status, job status, whatever, education. As soon as you step step foot, step foot through that door, everybody is treated the same. Everybody will look out, out for everybody. Um, so, uh, and, and again, going back to what I said at the start about social circle, 
often is the case that somebody comes through the door wouldn't have had a social circle or that support mechanism around it and now we're actually giving them that so I know that if somebody genuinely was out wanted to work or was out of work I could get them a job within give us two three months maximum if they wanted a job I would get them that we're already helping lads from our gym get work we're helping kids come off the streets. You know, we're averaging 30, 40, sometimes up to 40 kids on a class. It's one of the most deprived wards north of Tyne, if not the most deprived ward in terms of social housing, uh, low incomes, etc. And we're pulling people not just from that area, but from very affluent areas, coming and mixing them two together. Um, Whereas historically that would be very, very difficult to do. Do you think that helps people to realise that everyone is just a person? Exactly, It doesn't yeah. matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where you come from. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, I had, we've got a little, we've got a little lad who comes to us. He came in the gym last night. The gym's freezing cold. We're getting new heating put in at the moment because um, it's quite a big space we've got. So come the winter, it can get very cold without this new heating, which will be switched on. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks once we get the job finished. But so it was cold in there last night. Kids were coming in with their big puffer jackets on. Some of them had the designer gear on and what have you, you know, looking fresh. Little lad come in and he just had his t-shirt on. He's got ADHD, this lad. So um, boxing gym can be a very intimidating place for somebody within a, with ADHD to just put in with kids when where you've got to. Boxing is about so many life skills, discipline, structure, motivation, you know, following instructions if you're getting coached. So, so somebody, little lad at eight years old, nine years old with ADHD, really challenging environment. And there's a lot of concentration involved in boxing huge, as well, isn't there? You, huge, you've really got to know what's going on. Huge. But he came into the gym last night when it was freezing cold and he just had his little t-shirt and his tracks with buttons on. I said, you're freezing, man. I said, come on, get the skipping ropes up, we'll get warmed up. He went, it's warm in here. I says, are you kidding me? I says, I've got my coat on and yeah, it's cold. He says, um, well, no. He says, my house is like an icebox. I says, well, I says, why? You, can your mum put the heat on? Or you went, oh no, she hasn't got the money. We've got no heat. She, she can't afford to put the heat on. He says, we'll just sit on the settee and got a huge blanket. And me and my mum just cuddle up together and watch telly and that's how we keep warm, cuddling into each other. I mean, for people who, aren't, who are listening who maybe aren't from Newcastle, a young lad from Newcastle, to disclose that he cuddles up with his mum on a night time with a blanket is probably quite a big deal in and of itself, isn't it? In a it? boxing gym amongst yeah. other boxers, saying I cuddle up with my mum to keep warm. Of course it is. But it's the environment we've put him in where he feels comfortable to actually disclose that information to her. You know? We've had a few incidences in the gym, and obviously all of our coaches go through child safeguarding um, you know courses and so everybody's got all those accreditations and, and they've been educated around child, child safeguarding where kids are openly disclosing quite sensitive information to us which they haven't spoke about whether that be things going on at home um, or in their personal lives and we've got to deal with that in the right, right way you know um, but it's nice that the kids have got that relationship with us where they feel comfortable enough to actually what what that what what we've identified and found out in that boxing gym isn't just about somebody who's good at hitting a bag or might be a decent little boxer boys or girls it's actually the bigger scale of what's going on outside of that gym okay has that gym identified a much bigger issue which needs to be supported and tackled 
And is that support that you have the links to them put in place to yeah. to help them to make those improvements and to, to live better lives outside of the gym itself? Exactly. So that might be where we luckily through England Boxing who are our clubs affiliated club to through England Boxing Association they have strict child welfare and safeguarding policies and then your child welfare officers which things would be reported into if necessary okay um, or we've got good relationships with the local schools um, where if it was an issue which needed to be taken back to the local school we can tackle that we work a lot with the local schools um, and particularly with those who are on the brink of being suspended or expelled from school. So they'll come in once a week to the boxing gym and as a reward of keeping out of trouble, they'll come into the boxing gym. Now somebody again looking from the outside might think, well they're being bad so why are you rewarding them, teaching them how to box? Well it's actually not, it's teaching them that discipline structure, decision making, all those things I've mentioned before are vital. So it's about what intervention can you put in place to actually teach them, well actually it's not the way you want to go and using our experiences to actually show, giving them actual exam, real life examples of this is what your life might look like if you don't knuckle down and, and book your ideas up. So you know we, 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 we work with a great organisation called Foundation Futures um, who are local, fairly local to the gym and they work with young people who have already been excluded from education. Working with a group of, group of um, kids around 15, um, 15, 14, 15, 16 at the moment. I had them in the gym last week and uh, I was giving them the chat about what TKOs do within the prisons and how it isn't a nice place to be. Because one of them piped up straight away and thought, oh, it's just a holiday camp. You get everything in jail, man. That was me like, I believe us, you don't want to be. Yes, some jails are better than others, you know. I've been in jails where it's spick and span, the staff are fantastic, they've all got good relationships, education is brilliant and there's things put in place. But I've also been put in um, been in prisons where there's no windows in the cells because they're all smashed, smashed out. You know, you're sharing a room which has got a bunk bed in it, and it's probably about six foot wide by six foot, uh, well, yeah, six foot wide by about eight foot long, um, and you're sharing that with somebody else, and the toilet's next to your bunk bed, so you've got to go to the loo in front whilst your mate's lying down in bed, and, and that's it, you know, and it's freezing cold, and then your life after that, you can't get a job because employers have got a stigma against you because you've been to prison, Blah, blah, blah. Another lad had said when well, my dad's told us I'll end up in jail. So I was, what I was saying to that lad is, right, well, you've got to prove your dad wrong then, haven't you? If you want to achieve something in life, there'll be people there around you who can support you, but ultimately you've got to do that for yourself. You know, nobody, I'll say to the lads, you're not going to walk down, you're not going to walk down the town centre or the city centre and somebody's going to stop you in the middle of the street and go, there's your dream job. There's 50,000, do you want a job there? It's £50,000 a year and it's exactly what you want to do. Nobody's ever going to do that, but you might have to start somewhere. So I'll always say to them, like, what is your dream job? You know, one of the lads said oh, last week he wants to be a scaffolder. He says, that is my dream job, being a scaffolder. Okay, what stopped you being a scaffolder? Well, I, I haven't got my qualifications. I don't know where to start. Okay, then, well, let's look at what's going to get you. You've got to start on the ladder. Pathbed's career planning can be a really valuable tool, can't it? Say, this is where I want to be in the future and these are all the steps I'm going to take to get us there. Exactly, you know, um, 
we do a lot of stuff around enterprise and setting themselves up in, in business, you know. Um, take your own negative and turn that into a positive. Otherwise, you're always going to, you're never going to get over them. Don't let this little bit in the middle of your success be what's going to determine what, what's going to be moving forward. Forget about it. That's a great message. I could talk to you all day about this. First of all, there's somebody outside waiting for our room, mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately, I have much less interest in the parts of my job that I also have to do. Hi, everyone, it's Dawn from Now back. Um, at this part of the recording of the podcast, we had to give up our room, so Richie and I sort of conversed a little bit later on and I did ask him if he could let us know if there was one thing he could say to sum up how he works around all of this stuff and how TKO sort of works and um, what would that be? Your dad brought us up on a saying it costs you now to be nice it doesn't cost you a penny to be nice to somebody and if you're nice and they remember you from being that nice person they might not need you there and then there'll come a time where in the future they'll need you or they'll be able to recommend you to somebody who does need you. So never be afraid to be nice, cause you know to be nice, always have a smile on your face. That's my biggest tip I can give you. Thank you so much to Richie for giving up his time to come in and talk to me at Cash Towers. Um, if you would like to speak to me or tell me why what you do is amazing and you'd like to share your best practice, please feel free to get in touch. You can get me at dawn.mulvaney at cash.org.uk or the much easier to remember um, email address alumni at cash.org.uk you can also connect with us um, with me on LinkedIn or with Cash Alumni on Twitter and Instagram Um, and we'll be back soon to either talk about some amazing things that are going on in the sector or to interview other specialists and other people who are working on the ground to share their knowledge and their best practice with our network. So stay up to date by making sure that you've got the newsletter box ticked in the My Account section of Cash Alumni um, or keep an eye on the website itself for updates on when podcasts are coming out. You can also subscribe to the channel on Podbean um, or find us in your podcast app. Thanks very much. Until next time, take care.